Today's show is brought to you by CBDMD. Whether you're a pro athlete, an exhausted parent, or you spend all day in an office chair like me, CBDMD wants to give you the support you need to make it through the day. CBD Freeze and Recover are an outstanding duo of topical products with specialized formulas to provide targeted relief where it matters most. And to make it even easier to try Freeze Recover and every other CBDMD product, you can take 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 882 of Lockdown Raptors for Wednesday, February the 10th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Lockdown Raptors. And of course, please make sure you're subscribing to, rating, reviewing this podcast, as well as all the other Lockdown shows that you want to support on your favorite podcast providers. It is always very, very appreciated when you take the time to do that. And it helps stroke our egos and make us go up the rankings and all that good stuff. So thank you very much in advance or if you've already done that then thank you you i'm forever indebted to you and i'll you'll receive my christmas card in short order uh all right on today's show we're diving into a bit of a curiosity with your toronto raptors the Raptors play the Wizards a little bit later on today. This one should remain kind of evergreen beyond the Wizards game. I'm assuming it'll look even better after the Wizards game, considering the way the Wizards play defense. Uh, and we're diving into the curious case of the Toronto Raptors and their seventh-ranked offense in the entire NBA, 113.2 points per 100 possessions. They have been really good on that end, where we all kind of expected and prognosticated that they would be sort of bottom half of the 15 to 20 range. That hasn't happened so far. They've been scoring quite well as the defense that's been giving them problems. We'll address the defense at a later date. But joining me today to dive into the Raptors offense to look at sort of how it's looking anecdotally and just sort of with the eye test to dive into some weird and fun numbers from the Raptors offense as and as well to ask the question, is it going to last? Is it for real? It is our pal Vivek Jacob, big CBC, big Lavender, big V, uh, big North Courts. I, I don't know. What's going on, man? Do you, do you have any more <laughs> nicknames to add? Do you have any titles there, Daenerys? Oh, man. <laughs> 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 Thank you for that intro. I mean, in my defense, I have not come up with a single one of these nicknames. So <laughs> thank you to everyone that uh, has been pouring in those names. But yeah, it's fun uh, to talk about the raps right now. And it just feels like there's a really positive vibe back with the team. And that starts with Pascal Siakam, right? Like watching that last game where he's just smiling nonstop. I think that suggests that you know, he's he's feeling like the player he was before the pandemic and that things are really starting to come together. And when someone of his caliber is playing at that level, it allows everyone else to sort of get in line and fit in between and fill the spaces. And I think, yeah, those expectations that we had at the beginning of the season, that this was a team that could compete for, 
you know, whatever home court means this season. I think we're starting to see that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I did tweet last night, and I will delete this later if I'm wrong, but I tweeted after the Nets lost to the Pistons <laughs> uh, that the Raptors are going to get the three seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, it's trending that way. They're like a two and a half games back of that right now. And uh, again, I will delete it if I'm wrong. I could very well be wrong, but I'm feeling pretty good. The vibes are, as you said, quite nice in a way that they were not in the early depths of this season where they started two and eight and everything was bad. Um, so let's dive mm-hmm. into the offense here, Big V. Like I said, 113.2 points per 100 possessions. Uh, they are seventh in the NBA. They've been on a steady climb. They've been kind of hanging around top 10 for the last few weeks now. And they, with that game against the Grizzlies and that fourth quarter in particular, really juiced their stats past the Lakers. They're now just half a point back of the Blazers for sixth as well. And again, they play the Wizards on Wednesday night. So we could see them climb even further up the standings here if they you know, do what most teams do to the Wizards, which just score 195 points or whatever it might be so my question to you is what's been your sort of overall impression anecdotally speaking we'll get into the numbers in the second segment but just in terms of watching the Raptors play offense what have been your impressions what have been your takeaways from now 24 games into this season and are you liking what you're seeing just from the eye test in terms of how the offense is operating compared to say last year yeah I think when I talk about everyone understanding where they fit in a big part of that is under Nick Nurse understanding who he can fit in where and the more we've seen Stanley Johnson and Utah Watanabe and DeAndre Bembry everyone kind of knows what the rotations are going to look like obviously there's injuries that have to be dealt with and then you have the individual performances as well where Pascal Siakam is looking like himself where Fred Van Vliet has taken that next step where he's added a bit of that in between to his game so I think all that in combination is what's allowing this the Raptors to look like the team we more associate with them uh, in the past where you're seeing more of that ball movement you're seeing more of that crisp uh, movement that's allowing for open looks and again we'll get into the numbers soon enough but uh, that's a big part of why they're making so many shots from deep yeah, absolutely. The three-point shooting obviously is a big part of it. They're taking a lot of threes, and they're very eager to do so, and, you know, as they should be. They're they're hitting a ton of them, and they're a team, like, if you're going to play a high-variant style, doing it with a bunch of guys who are sort of historically good three-point shooters is the way to go. The thing that really gets me, it's not just that they're shooting threes, it's that the way they're getting their threes is, I think, a lot better than sort of what we would see last year, where it was a lot of, you know, Fred Van Vliet dribbles for 14 seconds, makes one pass, and then there's a three taken. It's a lot more paint touches, and they're using that penetration. Even if their guys aren't necessarily the best finishers at the rim, there's enough of a threat of them finishing at the rim, if you're Fred Van Vliet, for example, that teams have to collapse down a little bit, and then he's just spraying it out to shooters. Pascal Siakam's doing this as well. It's a greater and greater effect as he's not really, you know, turning the ball over and throwing it into masses of opposing arms you know the way he maybe was last year as he was getting his feet wet as a playmaker even early this season and it's just a healthy looking offense and I think you're seeing that in sort of the even spread of the scoring as well you know there's not really any one guy the league that the opposing teams can kind of key up on because if Kyle Lowry is 
you know, torching you or whatever. Like if you send two guys his way, then Fred Van Vliet's there to torch you. And then you have to send two guys his way. And it just becomes, you know, kind of a whack-a-mole situation, especially in the, in the moments where Pascal, Fred, and Kyle are all playing well in concert. And then you factor in Norm Powell, who's playing out of his damn gourd too, and really mm-hmm. breathing a lot of life into the offense in, in, in when he's in with the starters. It, it's just, it's a pretty healthy looking sort of organism right like everything's kind of working the way it should there are no very clear lag points even Aaron Baines like you know Aaron Baines is Aaron Baines he's not awesome by any means he's only shooting 24 percent from three but I think the things he does on offense in particular and the defense is a whole other story because he's been lost on that and the rebounding's bad too but offensively he's a nice little cog and we'll get into some of the numbers in terms of like the handoff stuff the Raptors are running which has been really effective but Baines is a screener is kind of injecting a lot of space into the offense for dudes just to make those quick extra, you know, you get the extra one second to make a read or get a shot off. That all really matters over the course of a short 24-second possession. Um, and I also want to ask you about Fred Van Vliet in terms of how he's kind of running things, Vivek, because um, I think our pal Joe Wolfond, recent guest of the podcast, go listen to Sunday slash Monday's show with Joe as we dove into a whole bunch of different things. But you know, he made it to the point during the last game for the Raptors against the Grizzlies. He was he's like, is Fred Van Vliet like actually a point guard now? Question mark. Because, you know, we've always kind of viewed him as better off ball, better as a shooter. And, you know, with his very clear flaws as a lead ball handler. But it feels like he's kind of falling into that point guard mold a little bit better. And he's not like dribbling the air to the ball so incessantly. I don't know. Are you noticing the same things? Are you impressed with Fred Van Vliet and the way he's kind of taken up the mantle as a lead ball handler for this team in a way that he didn't really last year? Yeah, he's definitely made steps uh, in the pick and roll and just making reads in general in the half court offense. I feel like he's talked about how it's getting those reps and continuing to just make the right read and make the effort to make the right read. And we've touched on before about with this Raptors team, it's all about getting reps, right? There's a reason why Malachi Flynn has been sent down to the Raptors 905. There's a reason why some really good players have been sent down to the 905 because they believe that getting those reps over and over is what's going to genuinely improve those players. And so while we saw a lot of mistakes from Fred and a lot of over dribbling, as you said, over time, as he's continuing to watch that film and say okay i should be making a read here there's a man open there and especially i think with the way he's learned to relocate i think that's something that's come on this season where he's getting the ball out of his hands he's relocating back to that three point line and he's getting a shot off i think that's something that's helped as well so i think all in all this is just a natural progression that we've come to expect from the raptors because they take the time and they're patient with the process of getting their players better and you know if i can quickly move to pascal yeah i think it it, uh, in it was almost a good thing that pascal stopped making his threes completely because at a certain point it was like hey we just need you to be productive. And it was like, okay, the only way I'm going to be productive is if I'm going to get into the paint and really get those uh, easier opportunities going. And I think when he started doing that and he was just consistently being aggressive and going to the basket, that's when things really opened up for the Raptors. That's when he was able to get some easier looks for himself. And maybe now that's part of why we saw some threes drop. And so hopefully that will continue uh, to fall for him as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. I wonder, like, I talked about this on Monday's podcast, but, like, what's the sort of psychological power of a night like he had last night where he's banking in threes off the off, off the pull-up and <laughs> goes five of eight and, like, clearly is just, like, thrilled and overjoyed and, like, a kid in the candy store, just, like, very, very happy and very clearly finding his confidence again. I, I really am curious, like, how that turns around his shooting season. Maybe... It's easy to put too much stock in a night like that, but we will uh, we will see, I suppose. We're going to continue to dive into the Raptors' offense and on the note of three-point shooting, kind of dive into how that's been quite obviously a clear crux of what they're doing. We'll dive into that in just one sec, but first I want to tell everybody about our friends over at 1010. You may have read about them in the New York Times, InStyle Magazine, or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it here. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring, and they're available now at BlueNile.com, and when they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're ready to mark a special commitment or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings is now available exclusively at BlueNile.com. All right, Big V, we're going to dive into some of the numbers behind the Raptors' really great offensive start in just one sec. Just a reminder, though, that we have a daily podcast for the sports fan out there called Locked On Today, hosted by Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers. It is a all-encompassing look at all the biggest sports stories from the night before, NHL, MLB, women's basketball, uh, obviously the NFL, hot, lots of Super Bowl stuff this week, clearly the NBA, all of it. It's all covered every single day on Locked On Today, so go and tune in right now. Okay, let's uh, dive into some of the numbers here, Vivek. It's uh, it's weird because the statistical case behind the Raptors doesn't really... There's not anything that's like a crazy outlier, I guess, when you're looking at things. Like, they're kind of middling in a lot of areas and really good in a couple other ones, but they're not like miserable in any areas. And all of that is propped up by their really high volume of three-point shooting, which, of course, is extremely helpful as well. I'm curious, sort of, are there any numbers that kind of stand out to you looking at the way the Raptors have put together this offensive attack that sort of really pique your interest? And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, that explains it. Or, or that's weird, and I don't really know why the Raptors are having a good offense in, like even with that going on in their team. Like, it's a bizarre set of numbers kind of underlying this Raptors offense. So I'm curious, Vivek, if you have any that kind of stand out to you. Well, I think what's happening with the Raptors a bit on offense is you're seeing what, you know, an extremely efficient shot spectrum can do for you, right? And so a team that doesn't quite have the talent that they had last year or the year before, they're able to make up with that with increasing the volume of threes. They're obviously getting to the free throw line a lot more than they used to early in the season. And as you said, the paint touches have gone up as well. So I feel like that efficiency is helping them show the numbers they are offensively. Do I think they're a team? So for me, I have been looking at the numbers over the last few weeks just since that Boston blowout because I feel like since that game, they've been a pretty good team. Obviously, they didn't get the results that they wanted against uh, you know, a Golden State or a Portland with the, with the pair of one-point losses there or even the Phoenix game. 
but I feel like that version of the team is kind of the same as the team we're seeing now. And so over those 18 games, they've shot 40.2% from three. Right. Is that sustainable? When I look at the roster and say, yeah, as a team, that's a 40% three-point shooting team, I'm not quite so sure. So I'm I'm almost still waiting for the other shoe to drop on that one. And then we'll see, you know, if, if other things sort of tail because of that. So that's probably the one maybe I'd look at as a bit of an outlier at this point. If it comes down a couple of percentage points, then maybe that's a bit more realistic. But uh, for now, I think that's a little bit high just looking at the roster and my gut feel. Yeah, so kind of running through the guys on the team and their way they're shooting this season. You've got, uh, I gotta find, I had the wrong page. God, there's too many pages I have open right now for this research based podcast. <laughs> what am I doing? Uh, and so, yeah, looking through, I mean, Paul Watson is barely playing. You know, the 66.7% doesn't really matter all that much. Uh, DeAndre Benbury's at 50%. He's only taking 0.7 attempts a game. So I, I would imagine that'll tail off, but the tailing off of that won't be damaging because the volume's not high enough. Matt Thomas, we know he's mm-hmm. a good shooter, 47.4%, again, barely playing. Stanley Johnson, I think you would expect some regression there. One and a half attempts a game, 43.8%. I'm going to say that's probably not going to hold up all season long, but also maybe it will because all the threes he gets are like hilariously wide open because nobody's guarding him whatsoever. Um, Chris Boucher, 43.7. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you would think over his head, he's come back down a little bit already from his like 49% start for the first few weeks of the season. Um, Let's quickly talk about Boucher for a sec. Like, do you think, how serious do you think the regression could be for him? He's at, again, 43.7 on 3.6 attempts a game. And for me, you know, Boucher has been so essential to the way the Raptors offense is run in those transitional lineups. And he's kind of kept them afloat because he can kind of go off for 12 points in a very, very short burst. And all of a sudden, oh, your starters are coming back in and you're all fine. And you survive those minutes in a way that, you know, for example, last season when you had those very like defense heavy zero offense lineups with like McCaw, Rondé, Chris Boucher, uh, Terrence Davis, like those lineups would just kind of get by and win their five minute stretches like six to four and never score. Boucher kind of gives those in between lineups a boost. If he loses some of that three point efficiency, that could certainly hurt those portions of the game. How fearful are you of like a precipitous drop here into like the mid to low 30s to where he's kind of been for his whole career? I'd like to think he can sustain high 30s. I don't know if this 44% mark can sustain. I I think that's a bit high. Yeah. But overall, when I think of him as a player on the offensive end, I think he's a bit of a case of more opportunity as opposed to genuine improvement. Like, the things we know about him are the things that we're seeing, right? The pick and pop yeah. game, attacking the rim with force. I haven't seen anything crazy to to say. Hey, this is new. Uh, if if there is an improvement on his end, it's more uh, defensively, where I feel like he's been a bit more in tune, where he's been a bit better with his positioning. He's still a little too foul happy. He's still chasing those blocks a little bit too much, and that's how he gets himself in foul trouble. But I do feel like there's been at least a bit of an uptick on the defensive end. So, yeah, overall, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a bit of a regression. But even numbers-wise, I think he's going to get his numbers just because of the opportunity that's in front of him. 
Yeah, and inversely, sort of thinking about uh, some of the play type stuff I was looking through, the Raptors are one of the worst teams in the league when it comes to pick and roll, uh, roll men finishing. They're at 0. .96 points per 100 possessions uh, or points per possession, and they are, I believe, in the bottom three of the league in terms of that. And you would think that with the way Boucher has played on the dive as he gains more chemistry with uh, Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry as the season goes along like that would uptake a little bit especially if Aaron Bain stops playing as much which very well could happen because he's not very good and is probably the one who's dragging that whole metric down for the Raptors if we're being totally honest um, but yeah I think for Boucher you know we can probably expect him to wind up in the 30s somewhere if he's in the high 30s then I don't think you're too worried about the Raptors falling off a cliff offensively if it's 33% from here on out then yeah, that'll be a problem. But I kind of think hmm. the way he's sort of getting his looks, a lot of them are pretty open. A lot of them are pick and pop type stuff. The way like Serge used to get them, pretty wide open as well. I could see him kind of maintaining a pretty prolific three point percentage, if not the forty four percent he's at right now. And then there's really only one more candidate for series regression. I think that you look at on this team and say, okay, maybe that is a little bit high. OG Ananobi's at forty three point three percent. Hopefully, we see him back soon. Here he's questionable for the Wizards game. Um, you know, 43.3 is significantly higher than he's ever been in like 39 is his career high, just under a shade under 40. He's at 5.7 attempts a game as well. And this is coming off of a start of the season where he was miserable for the first week or two. And then he really caught fire yeah. before he got hurt. Um, I mean, 43.3 feels high, but is it, it's not so high that if he falls back to his career averages, I think the Raptors are going to be sewered, for example. But, you know, every little bit matters. Are you concerned about the 43.3 being unsustainable for OG? Um, it could be a bit unsustainable. I, I, I mean, I think he'll still be around the 40% mark. But for me, I feel like just those small, uh, you know, down ticks mm-hmm. is is gonna is potentially gonna take the Raptors out of being a top five offense, right? Right. Like, so since that Boston game, they are fifth in offensive rating, mm-hmm. and. I think, you know, if they drop a couple percentage points, then does that take them, you know, out of the top 10 entirely? Or does that, you know, take them towards, you know, just ninth or 10th or something like that? And then then what does that do to them? Because the defense hasn't been great, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's where I kind of look at it is, again, the margin for error we know with this team is pretty thin. And so just little things like that, if they drop off, how much of an impact does that have? Yeah, that's a good point. I would counter that by saying I think we're probably going to see Pascal climb from the 27% he's at right now. Like, and maybe pretty significantly. Obviously, we're pretty deep into the season for there to be a total correction back to like his usual averages of like 36 or 37%, but if he can climb back up to 33, 34, even 35, I mean, that's going to I think cancel out a lot of the regression you would expect from guys like Boucher or OG. Um, and I think the same could be said even for Aaron Baines, who's at 24% right now. Uh, you know, he wasn't 24% last year. He was like 36%. And yes, he doesn't have a long track record of being a good shooter, but 24% on 2.4 attempts is uh, very bad. I, I would imagine he'll be a little bit better <laughs> than that. And in terms of the other guys, they're all kind of where you'd expect, right? Like Lowry's at 37% on seven and a half attempts. Van Vliet's at 38%. I would even maybe think he could climb a little bit, although I guess some of his shots are more difficult these days than they used to be. A little bit less off the catch, a lot more off the dribble, so you'd expect some sort of drop-off there, but he's been really good and kind of where you'd expect. 
And Norm's at 42.7. He's been a 40% shooter for like four years now, it seems. I don't think 42.7 mm-hmm. is like crazy for him to keep up, especially if they opt to keep him in the starting lineup, which apparently makes him into a superhero. Um, and, and they decided <laughs> to like go small. It, it, like Everything he's doing feels pretty much like what you'd expect with the way he's getting his looks and the confidence with which he's playing and the way the offense is moving. Like he's not having to create a ton for himself. He's not, you know, bombing pull up threes and stuff. It's all catch and shoot stuff. I I would expect Norm's probably going to finish somewhere around where he's at right now. Maybe a bit of a drop off towards his career averages, but even then that drop off's not all that significant. So the three point shooting to me feels like, Yes, maybe there's going to be a little bit of drop-off, but with the way they bomb them up, and they're at 38.4% this season, I don't think it's crazy to think that a team full of players who are kind of known as being good three-point shooters, I don't think it's insane that they would finish in the top five in three-point percentage. So I don't think I'm worried about the three-point shooting really digging into the overall offensive efficiency here. And the other number that really stands out, Vivek, is the transition numbers. So uh, just by the play type data for NBA.com, I'm pulling up here, um, they are number one in the league, or sorry, number two in the league in transition opportunities. They are getting transition opportunities on uh, 19.4% of their possessions. And they are currently mm-hmm. number 24. 25 in efficiency in transition at 1.07 points per possession. Obviously, that is a stark deviation from last year where they were a fire-breathing dragon in transition and were unstoppable and I believe finished with the number one transition efficiency. Like, I know a lot of the sort of wisdom of like Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka is gone, but those guys weren't exactly the drivers of the transition game for the Raptors and I know their defense isn't quite as good but they're still turning teams over still getting out on the run quite regularly as we've talked about and as I just pointed out with that uh, 19.4% frequency are you expecting an uptick in transition efficiency for this team or are you kind of just resigning yourself to the fact that you know sometimes Terrence Davis is just going to do the dumbest possible thing on in transition and Chris Boucher is going to be a bit less of a, a tidy finisher I just can't see this team finishing as low as they currently are in finishing in transition, considering what they've done in recent seasons. But what say you? Yeah, I think the transition offense will improve. I think it should improve when you look at pieces like Pascal Siakam and Norman Powell. And then you look at Kyle Lowry being able to pull up Fred Van Vliet a little bit. So I think those factors, once they normalize, then I think we'll see uh the uptick there and uh, as you pointed out there, there's got to be better decision making as well there's been way too many unforced errors in transition uh throwing a little tennis uh you know <laughs> <laughs> well we've got the aussie open going but uh yeah i think those mistakes are gonna prove costly and i think that's something they've got to count uh cut down on beyond that i feel like with the transition, the healthy part is they are creating those opportunities, right? They're a team that that's always going to get those steal numbers. The style of defense is going to create those opportunities. And so it's a question of converting. Some of it is obviously you got to see that defenses are catching on to in, in terms of their style. And 
the books out on them in, in terms of the way they like to play it, in terms of who their go-to guys are in transition. And so if other guys are going to have to knock down a few shots, if other guys are going to have to make better decisions, then we're going to have to see that as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it just, to me, that feels like a place where they can make up, even if there is regression in other areas, that's a place where positive regression should sort of cancel it out. Um, there's some other interesting stuff, you know, in terms of the play type data. They're number one in the league in terms of points off of handoffs or points per possession off of handoffs. Um, I think, like I said, that is a lot tied into like the screening of Aaron Baines and the extra space afforded to, you know, Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry to drive after getting those handoffs from Baines. Do you have any other sort of theories as to why? And like, they're not number one by just a little, they're at 1.11 points per possession. The next highest is the Sixers at 1.07. So they're crushing it on handoffs, 4.3 possessions a game. So, you know, it's not a huge part of your pie, but it's still a thing where they're picking up easy points. Um, Any sort of thoughts on why they've been so effective out of handoffs? I think... Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, like they've become, I mean, Kyle's been there for a while, I feel. But I think with Fred and Pascal just being better decision makers, once uh, they get that inch of space, that inch of separation, I think Fred Van Vliet has got more tools in his bag now that he trusts. And then again, the decision making, if you can move the ball that much quicker as opposed to over dribbling, uh, then you can get that productivity out of that where you know once the handoff happens and uh, you've got that bit of separation you've got the defense on their heels a bit and so when you when you're capitalizing that that on that right away and not saying okay i've got to find my advantage as opposed to okay the defense is on its heels swing swing there's the open look i think that's where the raptors are maybe a bit more efficient than you'd expect Totally. Um, this is all very fascinating, and we're going to continue on the conversation and ask the question, is the Raptors offense for real? Uh, yes or no, basically, and we'll try to answer that in the final segment uh, coming up in just one second. But first, I want to tell all of you about our friends over at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time, updated odds and props on almost anything you can Imagine Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best place to sign up and place your bets. It's a free place to sign up as well. Head to web- head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts, and make sure to use the promo code LOCKEDON when you do sign up with your account to get that 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. All right, Big V, just a heads up, programming note, tomorrow's podcast, we will be breaking down the Wizards game. Surely a win, I'm assuming. Uh, the Wizards suck, so it'll be a pretty <laughs> dark time if they lose, but I'm expecting some some good vibes coming out of this one tonight and probably a more improved offense after the Wizards defense is done with them. Um, so, Vivek, we've reached the conclusion of this episode where I'm going to ask you, is the Raptors offense being a top 10 enterprise sustainable for the rest of the season is the Raptors offense for real for the rest of the season I think it's possible that they are a top 10 offense I don't think they're a top five offense but uh yeah I think there are some things that they've figured out that they've cleaned up and I think the intensity with which 
they play has ramped up and so all those things you know I, I feel like it bodes well for the rest of the season uh for the playoffs i feel like that's a bit of a different question because mm-hmm. i am uh, always a bit skeptical of uh you know the teams that go all in with the shot spectrum because then i feel like that just becomes a little bit easier to game plan for in the postseason but the rest of the season i think it's possible yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I, I think things will look different in the playoffs. To me, it kind of feels like a 60-win Atlanta Hawks type situation where maybe they can put together an incredible offense in the regular season, but with the lack of a clear number one dude who can just go get you a bucket, you know, it becomes a little bit more difficult and easier to guard against. That said, you know, if three dudes like Lowry, Van Vliet, and Siakam are all playing in concert with each other as well as they are, it's going to be difficult for teams to sell out to stop one of them. And, you know, if you have three, like a three-headed monster, maybe it's not, you know, a big three like the Nets have or anything like that, but it still becomes difficult when those three guys are all kind of working off of one another and can, you know, they can screen for each other and they can uh, sort of operate kind of leveraging each other's strengths. That is going to help matters, I think, quite a bit. When you get to the postseason, also it's worth noting that if Pascal can kind of continue what he's doing in terms of his playmaking, in terms of his, um, you know, just sort of diagnosis of what the defense is doing to him, that is going to help things in the postseason as well. I think that'll be. We won't really know, right? It's kind of like a Milwaukee Bucks situation where it's like, okay, cool, you know, we'll see you in the playoffs, and that's kind of I think how people maybe feel about Pascal in terms of mm-hmm. how he's playing it's like okay you're playing great and it's looking awesome what does it look like in the postseason because boy is there a sour taste in your mouth after the Celtics series and i'm yep. still gonna withhold any sort of judgment on whether or not pascal can be better than he was last year in the postseason i think it's very doable in terms of the regular season yeah you know they're seventh right now and just sort of looking at the teams around them in the in the offensive rating standings you know, I think the top five is pretty secure. The Bucks, Clippers, Nets, Jazz, Nuggets, you know, that's going to be tough to get into that mix because those teams are ridiculous offensively. After that, you know, you got the Blazers at sixth, Raptors seventh, Lakers at eighth, Pelicans ninth, Celtics tenth. I think it's very reasonable the Raptors could finish somewhere between sixth and eighth. And like I said, even if the three-point shooting efficiency comes down a little bit, there are enough things that have the potential for positive regression that I'm feeling pretty all right about them kind of holding tight and the other thing too just sort of looking at how they stack up in some different metrics you know true shooting percentage uh, turnover rate all that stuff like they're kind of middle of the pack in all of it they're not like blowing the doors off anything with like a, a crazy outsized you know low turnover rate or anything like that their free throw late like rate like you said is going up but they're still around the middle of the league maybe in the top just in sort of like the top 10 ish just outside of the top 10 you know, none of the stuff is blowing you away in terms of how they're doing this. And because of that, I'm inclined to think it's all pretty sustainable and nothing really seems all that out of the ordinary or on the brink of a complete collapse, barring like Chris Boucher going to like 28% from three for the rest of the season. But, you know, I- I'm feeling pretty good. It's a, it's a nice feeling to watch a good offense that doesn't make you want to scream all the time, dude. I got to say, because <laughs> boy, there were times where that was the thing last year. Um, and it also kind of informs my optimism on where the team might finish this season, because if the offense is sustainable, I still feel like there's plenty of room for improvement on the defensive side of the ball, and they have the pieces and the talent to achieve that improvement. 
And then you're looking at a team that's maybe not a plus 1.8 net rating. If they can climb back up towards the top 10 in defense, you're in the sweet spot where you're in the top 10 in both categories, which is what you want. I still don't think they're going to be in the contender class necessarily, but you know, there can kind of be what we expect the Raptors in to the be. In the fun class. Exactly. Well, the fun, good, and obviously you're not tanking class, which uh, thankfully that talk seems to have uh, totally dried up, which is beautiful. Um, any last parting shots on the Raptors offense before we wrap this thing up, man? No, man, I think you covered most of it. And I'm rooting for it to all come along because we've got some over-unders that would definitely be, well, at least I've got some over-under picks <laughs> that would definitely be helped with uh, them getting it together so we're only like 12 on, games on. 12 games away or so from having to do the uh the the check-in at halfway of how we're doing on those over-unders i'm terrified i haven't looked at it since but boy i think i'm gonna get killed <laughs> <laughs> i mean you kind of went all or nothing so yeah yeah uh, i just forget which direction i went all or nothing in so <laughs> <laughs> it might work out to you because i because i think you went a bit more pessimistic, and so that might actually help you. That doesn't we'll sound see. like me. We'll see. Soon that enough. really doesn't sound like me, but we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge in 12 games. Uh, for now, thanks for coming on, man. It was fun to, uh, I don't know, do some research for a podcast. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's uh, This was a good one, dude. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Where can people check out your work? People can check out my work at CBC Sports and Complex Canada. And you can also listen to a soccer podcast if you're interested, Red Couch Manx, available wherever you get your podcasts. And most recently for CBC Sports, I did a story on rising tennis star Leila Annie Fernandez that you can check out. And besides that, you can follow me on Twitter at Vivek M. Jacob. Big V in his tennis bag, man. You love to see it. You really, really love to see it. Um, yeah, you can find me at Woodley Sean, of course. You can subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. It's always appreciated. Um, and I just want to say thank you to all the listeners who kind of reached out yesterday. There's some tough news with TSN 1150 going away uh, and losing that element of my day to day, and that was a bummer. But I was uh, very, very touched by all the wonderful message the messages that listeners of the podcast uh, sent over. Um, you're all wonderful and made me feel better on a day that sucked ass. So thank you so much. Uh, even a couple of you went so far to as like cancel your Bell subscriptions uh, on the spot, which you're all heroes and I love you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, shout out to you in particular. Um, that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so, so much. And we'll talk to you again on Thursday, right? I don't know. It's Thursday tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, to talk about the game against the Washington Wizards. Have a good one, everybody. Talk to you soon.